You're listening to the Today's Family Lawyer podcast, the leading source of daily news and insight for family law practitioners in England and Wales. Sign up to our free weekly newsletter at todaysfamilylawyer.co.uk and subscribe to hear all the latest news and views from across the family law sector. You can also follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Hello and welcome along to the latest Today's Family Lawyer podcast. I'm delighted today to be joined by Tara Dunn and Palumi Amanda Adiola. Tara is a legal associate at Our Family Wizard and Palumi is a partner and solicitor advocate at BHP based up in the Northeast. Thank you so much both for joining the podcast. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you for having us, David. Today, we're going to be talking about technology and the growth of technology, particularly in in family law. So thank you both for joining. In the first instance, it would be useful just to have a little bit of background. So Palumi, if I can come to you first, tell us a little bit about yourself and and what you you do at BHP. Thank you, David. So I'm a, a family lawyer. I'm a partner here at BHP and I'm also a solicitor advocate. Um, I qualified in 2009 and I've specialised in family law since that date. Um, I deal predominantly now, I would say, majority of my caseload is more um, around financial matters on divorce. Um, But I also deal with private law children matters. Um, But I wouldn't say that that's the majority of my work, if you see what I mean. Um, So I'm there for clients from the outset. from when their relationship breaks down to try and get the best for them and also to make sure that they're able to get the best for their families to be able to move forward. Um, Getting divorced or separating is a very difficult experience to go through and it's important that you have the right legal guidance um, on your way through that so that you can see what your future can look like at the end of it. Uh, And Tara? Thank you, David. So, yes, I'm legal associate at Our Family Wizard. I studied law at Exeter and then went on to do the barrister training course in London. And from there, I became a paralegal at a family law firm in London, predominantly specialising on private children matters. Um, and, and similarly, like Palumi, I kind of started with the clients from the outset right through to, you know, the final hearings, which was really great experience and, and exposure to those matters. And then from there, I wanted to develop my advocacy skills. So I went on to do some um, advocacy work with LPC Law, doing some kind of housing matters and mortgage applications rental matters, housing matters, things like that, which was really interesting. And then uh, the vacancy for Our Family Wizard cropped up and uh, James, my colleague, had actually presented to my firm when I was a paralegal. And it just seemed like the the perfect opportunity to kind of, you know, get some new experience and work for a company that's really focused on the child and the children in these matters. It's really useful. Thank you. So my first question really is, is to you, Tara be interesting to kind of explore what the background to our family wizard is because it's been going in the US for quite some time. How long have you been in the UK for now? So we've actually been in the UK now, I think coming up to about six years now. And interestingly, we started out, like you say, David, in Minneapolis, Minnesota, 22 years ago now. Um, the idea actually coming from a family lawyer, just really wanting to kind of do away with those handover books, I'm sure um, Plumi is well versed with with those, and just kind of putting the focus back on the child and helping parents with their communications. 
And just very briefly, give us a synopsis of what our family wizard does, apart from put the child at the centre of the conversation. So our family wizard is essentially a co-parenting platform. So we've got a message feature, a calendar feature, a journal feature, an expense log and an info bank. So it's one platform designed to help parents with their communication. And what I'll touch on a bit later on is also an additional feature that we have, which is a tone meter, which guides parents in, in their language. So we just wanted to have, you know, one platform where everything is recorded, everything is transparent for parents to communicate and really just kind of do away with you know, that nasty messaging. And like you say, Devin, like probably is going to be um, between me and Palumi, the focus of today is really just actually putting the focus back onto the child as parents go through separation and divorce. So Palumi, perhaps you might give us a bit of an insight into what that communication process looks like without a platform, because divorce in a lot of circumstances is, is adversarial. If I take you back, really, before any online platforms came about, when I first started doing family law, um, what you would have is a handover book where parents will, that, that book will travel with the child and each parent will write in there what the child has been up to, what the child is eating, any medications, etc. You are relying on that other parent to complete that book and return it with the child. You will have cases involving arguments that the book's not completed, that they don't know what the child's eating, that the child has got maybe an allergic reaction to something, but the other parent hasn't known. All sorts of communication issue, which if you are able to do it in a way that's seamless and you can access it very quickly, even on a mobile phone, it makes life easier. Um, And this is what, you know, moving on from how it used to be done to other platforms that could make things work seamlessly and make that communication quick and effective. That's how helpful it is. So I remember when I was dealing with a case when I was a paralegal and Palumi, I'm not sure if you've dealt with this before, is with the handover book. The child actually can be exposed to that, whether intentionally by one parent or not. If there's, you know, nasty messaging in there, in that handover book, which is sent between the child, between both parents, I remember there was an issue when a child actually saw the handover book and there was, you know, nasty messaging about one parent. And then there's, of course, the other issue about, you know, why did the child see the handover book? Why is there nasty messaging in there? Things like that. And I think that was also an issue which we hope we can do away with. But I'm not sure if you you dealt with, you know, kind of issues with that, you know, the nasty words in this handover book and then the child sees it. And it's just a whole other issue. Yeah, I mean, I I didn't have any of that, but there was a lot of not completing the handover book and therefore creating a difficulty. So if, for example, one parent has given the child um, cowpole for argument's sake because the child was having a temperature, but doesn't tell the other parent and it hasn't been written in the book, but then the child gets home and the other parent gives them another dose of cowpole. It's those kind of issues and not be all even instances where the handover book has miraculously gone missing. And therefore, nobody can find it. And the history bank of communication between the parents is no longer there because somebody has decided to get rid of the book. So moving away from that, you take away that issue and you put it somewhere where, you know, you can't delete it. It's there. The exchanges are open for everybody to see. It just makes it much more neater and seamless, as I said before. What's the incentive for the parent to complete this book, though? Because, as I say, in a lot of cases, there's simply no desire for any level of cooperation. 
There isn't, but this is where we're taking it back to making sure the parents realize that it's about the child. A lot is lost because you separate and you're fighting each other and you forget, you know, the child or the children in between. And I think it's important that parents are reminded of that and the long term damage that can happen if the child comes into contact with communications between the parents. There are times where people have spoken out of turn, out of anger, but not remembering that your child who's sitting there is taking everything in. They may not say it out, but it's how they process that later on and how it could have a potentially long lasting damaging effect on them. I think we saw that with the case recently in which the judge had actually written a letter to the children in that case and told them really, you know, using their own expression about their parents basically stopping the crap because it was enough fighting that you just don't have a sense of what is happening. I always say to my clients when it comes to children matters that you are separating from each other you are divorcing each other. That parent who's divorcing you is also not divorcing your child. And you have to remember that. Because if you start to look at it, that they're divorcing you and your children, that is the wrong mindset to have and everything will only get worse from then on. There's a cynical view here around whether we actually need this sort of technology. We have communications platforms, we have things like WhatsApp, text messages, email, why is it important that we have a platform that's that's separate from that, that actually requires some effort to go and use? I think the communication app is just like any other app. It doesn't need an effort. It's on your phone. You could use it. We are all so into um, tech and how things work and how it's so quick for you to go onto your phone and to you know shop and to go on an app and to watch the news and things like that. It's exactly in the same way. And when you're using, you know, things like text messages and WhatsApp, you could easily, you know, delete stuff. You could screenshot information that you want to share and not provide all the, you know, exchanges between you and the other party to, um, you know, your lawyers for argument's sake. There is also the cost element. I tell you now, the amount of time we take to read these messages, rims and rims of exchanges that has been emailed to you for you to see where your client has said this, the other party has said that, for you to then write to the other side to say, well, tell your client to stop saying this. It's a complete waste of time and money. And when you're thinking about the fact that that money could easily be well spent looking after your children rather than paying lawyers, it's better to have an app where everything is there. Nobody can redact anything. You can't delete anything. A court, and also having the mindset that if you do end up in proceedings, a judge can see, can request to see the exchanges between you. That's probably going to change your mindset as well. I think also, David, you touched on the fact that there is so many, which I think is a problem in itself, because, of course, when parents are communicating, one might message on WhatsApp, not be dealing with all the issues with that WhatsApp message, maybe deal with one of them on a different platform, perhaps Facebook Messenger or text messages or email. But of course, with those messages as well, because it's such an emotionally charged situation for the parents, understandably, there's going to be high emotion in those messaging as well, engulfed with really important issues about the child. So I think that in itself is an issue that there's so many communication platforms. So, you know, there's going to be 
messages that are lost, there's going to be messages that are delayed. And on top of all that, which which Pulumi has touched on, is the fact that these communication platforms can be manipulated, unfortunately. You know, WhatsApp has for a long time now, you've been able to delete messages. Even with iOS 16, now I understand you can undo send on messages, you can edit messages up to, I think, perhaps don't quote me on this, I think about 15 minutes. So if there is a situation where one parent has a tendency to harass the other with lots of messages, they can do that, wait until the other parent has seen it and then go back and delete them, which doesn't provide an accurate record of communication, which, as Plumi's touched on, lawyers need to ensure that they have that accurate record of communication between the parents and are able to rely on that information, which I think is really important. And as Palumi said, you know, on the communication platform that we have, which is our family wizard, is, you know, messages can't be deleted, they can't be edited, they can't be redacted. Parents can't pick and choose what they want to send to their lawyer because the practitioners themselves can actually go in for free and review all that communication, review an accurate record of that communication without, which I think, Palumi, correct me if I'm wrong, this is the term cherry picking that, you know, some parents um, sometimes do. They, of course, want to send the communication to their lawyer, which benefits them, which might help their case for contact. You know, having that one space for communication is really important and avoids, as Plumi says, you know, the increase in legal fees, because unfortunately, you know, lawyers, paralegals, any legal professionals who are working with these parents have to trail through all this communication and might not even have an accurate record. So I think it yeah, avoids time and, and costs, which I think is really key in, in times like these. Can the lawyer intervene in these message exchanges? So, David, we have what we call professional practitioner accounts, which are free for any legal professionals working with separating parents. And upon that parent's consent, they can review all the activity on the platform. So all the messaging, all the entries on the journal, et cetera, et cetera. And they won't be interfering with any of the data, but it provides them with a bird's eye view of the activity on the platform. And what they can do then is actually download court admissible reports from there. So they they are welcome to message on the platform, um, but they just I think that what's really key is having the accurate record of communication and just knowing that what they can see is is accurate, is clear, and is everything that's happening essentially. So yeah, we we have that that function, which hopefully is is sometimes useful for those practitioners. That's also helpful from the point of view of being able to say to your client, if you see that they're saying what they shouldn't be saying or leaning towards a, a particular point far too often, you could sort of give them guidance and advice and say, you know, you need to just pause on that. There's still this issue about it being open to manipulation, though, isn't there, in that this is another communications platform. And whilst you're encouraging people to use it, they may separately use a different platform perhaps to send something a bit more vitriolic? I guess that's true to some extent. I guess what I would say to that is firstly, it's, and Palumi, correct me if I'm wrong, it wouldn't be in Palumi's client's best interest to be using a separate platform for the reasons I've just outlined with regards to that manipulation. And also we do have a draft order language where you can actually stipulate to communication only being on our family with us. So actually if one client actually goes away and starts messaging on WhatsApp, they're actually breaching a court order. So I think that would be the second point I'd say to that, David. Um, you know, unfortunately, you can't you can't control everyone's um, actions. So there's always going to be something, unfortunately. But yes, the, the stipulation to it's not it's not in the parents' best interest. And then if necessary, it can be court ordered to that effect. You touched at the start on a tone 
tool. And I'm interested to explore that because, as we said, it's quite adversarial divorce. How does that work? How do you sort of manage the tone of the correspondence? Tone meter is essentially a guide providing parents with real time feedback as they're typing messages. And with this, we really just want to get parents thinking about the language that they're using. And so if there is any potentially inflammatory or offensive language in that message that they're typing, Tone Meter will flag that up and will use descriptive words such as aggressive or humiliating or upsetting. So what Tone Meter is saying is this phrase, this part of a sentence could be seen by the recipient parent as aggressive. And so it's it's kind of getting parents to, you know, think about, you know, do they really want to send this message? Do they want to think about changing their language? And I guess just a couple of, of points to note about Tone Meet is that they can still send that message. They don't have to change their language. There's nothing stopping them from sending that message. But of course, the difference being with the other communication platforms like WhatsApp, like text messages, is they can't go back and edit or redact or delete that message that's going to live on that platform. We don't also provide any alternatives to their language. We don't want to change their language. We just want to get them thinking about their language. And just lastly, is that if they do still send that message, that recipient co-parent won't be notified that tone meter has been used or they've been sent an aggressive message because we're not saying their language is aggressive. We're saying this could be seen by the recipient co-parent as potentially aggressive. It's a very emotive situation anyways. And sometimes I think like everybody, you have started writing a message in the heat of the moment without thinking because you're absolutely upset because you've received something that you think you really ought to respond to rather than pause. So I see the tone meter really as your pause, reflect. Do you actually want to send this? or do you want to change it? Um, as Tara said, you can still send it if you want to, um, but it gives you that split second at least to think, whoo, calm down, you know, take a breath. You might just want to really think about what you're saying. And I think it helps parents to understand that language has a lot to do with how the, um, you know, your relationship with the other parent works. Because if you, you know, if you write something that you know will hurt them, it's not going to make your communication any better. It's only going to make it worse. And then it leads to you missing the point again that it's about the child. So having that tool is very helpful um, because, you know, you send it, you send it, you can't delete it, it's on there. A judge could decide that they want to see it and see the sort of inflammatory words you've been used, which is, at the end of the day, not in the best interest of the child, because that's what the court has to decide upon anyways, what is best for the child, not what you want or what the other parent wants. So it's a very key feature, and I think it's really helpful. From clients who have used it, they have said, oh, you know, I was going to send, I, you know, I wrote this, and then I thought, oh, God, no, I'm not going to send it. And that's that's helpful to know that it actually does work. If one of the ways that we're trying to create better cooperation between parents is by regulating, in inverted commas, their language, what about things like social media, which can often be really difficult to regulate? Because as we've been talking about before we started recording, you end up putting something out there for the course of public opinion that isn't really for public consumption. Absolutely. And, and, and that's, that is a problem. I mean, social media is a force for good as well as obviously uh, it has its negative side too. And I think a lot of people will say during the lockdown, social media was a saving grace for a lot of us because there were so many things on there that you could use to take your mind off what was happening. 
But the downside to social media, especially for separating parents, is that a lot of people still use it to indirectly talk to the other parent not really reflecting on where that message is going to go. The internet never forgets is a good reminder that I give to my clients, whether you delete it, it's somewhere, it's been cached somewhere, and it could always come back to haunt you. And you thinking that the court of public opinion taking your side and saying, oh, what a horrible person, oh, I shouldn't be doing that, oh, I should be paying maintenance for their child. If you think that that is going to help your child in any way, well, then you really have to have a rethink. And those are the sort of things that I've seen online that people have put on. David, if I could just add to what Palumi's saying, and I think this was really important when our family was wizard was created as well, to actually have that safe space for parents to share with family members in an isolated space. So we have a journal feature, and we actually like to describe this as an isolated space for social media, an isolated social media for that family where they can actually choose who to share with, but they have to be within that um, Our Family Wizard platform. So whether it's the child, whether it's third parties like grandma or auntie, that co-parent can actually choose who to share that journal entry with. So for example, you know, taking Alex to the park, taking Alex for lunch, sharing a picture with that, sharing a location of where they were. And I think that's really important because when they share that journal entry, when they choose to, you know, whether that's keeping it for themselves, a private entry, sharing it with grandma, sharing it with the child, sharing it with any connected professionals, knowing that who they're sharing it with, you know, they can't link in with any social media, they can't comment, like or share. It's just to ensure that everyone is on the same page and they have that opportunity to share those nice times with the child. Palumi, you've highlighted the fact that we might well go back to posts on social media that our our children wouldn't be particularly proud of us around. Uh, And that feels like a sort of natural conclusion to this discussion that really what we need to make sure that we're doing and and using online tools or, or, or using tools that help to regulate some of our language is really about making sure that we put the child back at the center of of the discussion rather than as as you said at the outset the dispute being between the parents absolutely and i think that's the key thing here a lot of you know um discord and arguments between parents uh, tend to forget the people who are important and that's the children the case miss d and mr d and it's from 2022 and it's clear from that judgment that the fighting between the parents had obviously had a negative impact on these children um, for such a long time. And we a lot get lost in that because everybody's looking at things from their prism. I'm hurt. He's hurt. We're all hurted. But they forget that the children are also hurting. And it's important that you bring them back to them to be able to focus on what will help them to understand that our parents love us. They may not like each other very much at the moment, but they will always bat for us when it's important. And here's a loaded question just to finish on then. Do you see that the profession is doing that? We are talking at the end of Family Mediation Week. Today's Family Lawyer has championed that week and and we've also supported resolution in in a lot of what they do. Mm -hmm. We've done podcasts about the adversarial nature of divorce. Is 
the culture of divorce changing? Is the culture of divorce law changing in such a way that practitioners are putting children at, at the centre of the discussion and, and we're moving away from that adversarial nature? Absolutely. I think this has always been, um, you know, something that every family lawyer has to put at the fore. If you're a resolution member, you've got to abide by the code of conduct anyways. And, you know, there is call for making sure that people move away from court. Um, Apart from the fact that we have uh, a court system that's struggling to grapple with the sheer volume of cases and how long it's taken for cases to come to a conclusion, you know, there's so many other options that you can consider. I'm going to do a plug for my friend Jo here. She wrote a book called Almost Anything But the Family Court, and it talks about the various options of ADR that you can go through to bring your case to a conclusion. And I believe the president of the family division also spoke about this and all of us moving away and getting our mind right in terms of guiding our clients through resolving their matters. I was saying to a colleague recently that I haven't been to court actually in quite a while. I do a lot of my own advocacy as, as I'm a solicitor advocate but I think the last time I was at court was in October of last year because what's important is to make sure that my clients are able to negotiate are able to mediate you know private FDRs whatever they need to do to bring their cases to a conclusion one it saves them money it saves them time. There is the emotional cost as well. And it's making sure that they're able to salvage what is left of their family and be able to move forward without actually having to fight each other for two, three years because you're waiting for court listing, etc. Um, and I know that from my counterparts that I've dealt with in the region, that is the focus. And I don't doubt that that is also the focus across the country. And that's one of the unintended benefits then of our family wizard, isn't it, Tara, that what we're doing using technology like this is encouraging mediation, encouraging negotiation and ultimately discouraging going to court. Absolutely, David. I guess just to to finish on that note is whether the parents need to go through court to resolve the issue or through alternative dispute resolutions like mediation, like FDRs and being you know encouraged to negotiate whatever method they're using and whatever method is best for them they still need to communicate when there's a child involved you know whether that's pre-separation during divorce and separation or after divorce and separation because even after divorce and separation the lawyers won't still be involved or the mediators won't still be involved so they still need to communicate after they've resolved the issues about the child and I think it's really useful to just have that communication platform where everyone is on the same page and everyone has the accurate record of activity, ensuring, as we've said throughout this podcast today, that the child is at the focus and will always be at the focus before, during or after divorce or separation. And on that note, we've run out of time. Thank you so much both for joining the podcast. It's been a really interesting discussion. Thank you, Tara. Thank you so much for having us, David. Thank you, Palumi. Thank you for having us. The Today's Family Lawyer podcast is available on your preferred podcast provider. It's also available on todaysfamilylawyer.co.uk. My thanks to Tara and Supalumi. Thank you for listening and we'll see you again soon. You're listening to the Today's Family Lawyer podcast, the leading source of daily news and insight for family law practitioners in England and Wales. Sign up to our free weekly newsletter at todaysfamilylawyer.co.uk and subscribe to hear all the latest news and views from across the family law sector. 
You can also follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter.